All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, and welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. My guest today is Carolyn Strauss. Carolyn Strauss, CSP, is an expert on leadership, sales, persuasion, and execution. She works with companies who want to increase their dollars per minute. Not only did Carolyn grow up in the manufacturing business, her father owned and operated the oldest leather tannery in North America, but Carolyn spent 18 years on air at the Home Shopping Network designing and selling her own clothing line, the Carolyn Strauss Collection. While she was there, she created dollars per minute formula that led to her consistently selling over $2,500 per minute and ultimately exceed over $1 million of product in one day. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lisa. It's so good to be here with you. Well, Carolyn, share with us a little bit about your journey and what led you to doing what you're doing now. Well, the speaking and consulting that I do came out of decades of learning in my own business how to work with companies. I mean, I love this podcast. I love your show. I've listened to it many times and I love it because I think manufacturing is, I mean, that's the basis of everything that happens on the planet, right? If it's not made, then we can't buy it. So I love that all of your listeners are are actually creating something. So I love working with companies who create things. And like you said in my intro, so I had my own clothing company for 18 years. Um, on the Home Shopping Network, we had one client we had one source of selling our goods. Um, I wouldn't recommend that, but if it, you know, if that's how you structure your business, that's how we structured our business. And we manufactured in the United States. I started my company in 1997, and we manufactured in the U.S. until 2007. And what happened in 2007 is we got an order for today's special. So for anybody who hasn't watched the Home Shopping Network, I highly recommend you guys watch that and have your salespeople watch it all the time because nobody does sales and persuasion better than HSN. But in 2007, we got an order for a today's special. We had 36,000 sets, three-piece sets. It was a tank, a jacket, and a pant. 36,000 of them, seven sizes, extra small through 3X, and petite, average, and tall. Wow, that's a lot of SKUs. It was like 144 <laughs> SKUs when we did the math because of the different, and three or four different colors. It was like 144 SKUs for one item. Not only that, but we had four collections around it that had pants and jackets and prints and all of this. At that moment, there was not a factory. There were not a series of factories in the U.S., that could handle an order that big. And we got the order in February. We weren't gonna be selling it until November, but there still was not manufacturing capabilities in the US to handle it. That broke my heart. 
it broke my heart because my dad lost his business. We closed the tannery in 1987 because of overseas competition, because of the chemicals that need to be used in the leather industry, because of the, um, you know, the pay structure. You know, my dad ran a union shop and he lost his business in 1987 and had to go overseas. So when I had to take my clothing manufacturing to China, my heart was broken. And I actually, this is a story I haven't told before. I actually stepped away from my company for six months um, at the beginning of 2008 because I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. I was like, you know what? If I can't manufacture it in the U.S., I'm not doing this anymore. It's not fair. It's not right. And then 2008 happened. The recession happened. My retirement vanished. That's a whole separate story that I can tell on another, you know, disaster podcast and um, financial disasters and realized I went back to it. And the Chinese manufacturing actually did an incredible job for us. I hate to say it, but they did. And then we did a combination of U.S. and overseas manufacturing for the next um, eight years of my line. So tell us, because I'm sure that the most fascinating part of the intro and and what you've developed is this dollars per minute. Because so many times we think about manufacturing and it's uh, the revenue that's coming in through the month, it's the, the, uh, the, the price, the cost, everything that we look at these hard things, but we don't necessarily break it down into those really small increments like that. So share with us a little bit about that mentality. And I know you you work with manufacturing clients today, but what are some ways that they can start to change their thinking to really focus in on those smaller increments to become more profitable? I love that question. It's so dollars per minute is how I think. So when you're on the home shopping network, when you get on air, right? Because I had, let's say I had a, a million dollars worth of merch that I needed to sell over the course of a day. Well, I would have to break that up. And each show, when I would get on, I'd have a 50 minute hour to sell my goods because an hour is only 50 minutes because you have 10 minutes of breaks and stuff. So I'd have 50 minutes. And when I would get there, I would get what's called a flow sheet showing what items were going to be in the show and how much time each of them got. And at the top of the flow sheet was a little number that would show how many dollars in that 50 minutes they expected me to sell. And the number was anywhere between 125,000. And sometimes I would see a number of $380,000 worth of $29 and $39 retail price goods that I would need to sell. And so what I would have to do is literally take that number, divide whatever the number on the top of the page was by 50 and know how many dollars per minute I needed to sell in order to be successful. And the thing about the Home Shopping Network is if you don't sell at least $2,500 per minute, you're a failure. I knew exactly my metric of what was success and what was not. Wow. (laughs) So after doing that for 18 years, actually, actually after doing it for three years, I literally started to see every activity in my business and in the businesses of the people that I work with in terms of, is this, is this creating the dollars per minute that I need this person's activity to generate. So I'm not saying to micromanage. That is not how I work with my clients at all. We're not talking about micromanaging, but it's like, 
it's kind of productivity. It is definitely productivity, but it's value and productivity. Where are your people putting their time and attention so that each person is as valuable and productive to the organization as they can be, that each manufacturing piece is as productive as it can be. So through all of that, I realized at Home Shopping, I, um, while I was designing my collection, I did have a business partner who took care of the actual, you know, the buying of the fabric and the pricing of that, because the details of that I couldn't handle. But what I realized is I would, let's say it's September now, I would be designing a collection in September that I would be showing on air in March. So I had seven or eight months to get from a concept in my head into the hands of my customers in seven or eight months. Mm -hmm. I realized that there was an eight step process in executing that I would have to do. And if I missed a step, then I failed and something went wrong. So I created the eight steps of execution. And that's one of the things I work with my clients with to help them optimize their dollars per minute. And what I love about this formula really is that it works for every single business, right? Executing is executing. Getting stuff done is getting stuff done. Right. And so going through that process with obviously in the short time that we have together, we can't go into tons of detail, but what are the, what are the steps, the cliff notes version? I am happy to tell you what the steps are. The (laughs) steps are first is imagining and inventing what it's going to look like when it's done. And I believe in doing that as leadership, figuring out what are we making and what's it going to look like and creating a time frame for it, right? But in that, you've got to get input from your teams. You've got to get in product in in conversation with the production people, with the sales people, with the marketing people. And what I found with a lot of companies that I've worked with lately, I don't know if you've seen this, Lisa, because I know you work with companies all over the place. Have you found that in the bigger companies where there are at least a hundred employees or more that they tend to be siloed? Absolutely. That's one of the biggest complaints that departments don't talk to each other. Everybody's got so much on their plate right now that they don't even think about going into a different department to talk to people. I saw, I spoke at a marketing association and I asked the marketing people in at this big conference I was speaking at, how often do you meet with your sales teams? And most of them said, never. I'm like, then how do you know what your customers are asking for? If you, how are you marketing something that you don't know is going to help your salespeople sell? It makes me crazy. So siloing is a big, big problem. So I believe when you come up with the concept of what you're going to design or what you're creating or manufacturing, you've got to talk to the whole team. Then the second step that most people miss, and this is, I think, the most important step, is assessing assessing your resources. Most people don't realize that when you go to, to add something to your manufacturing line or add something to your business or shift something, resources are going to need to be allocated. And there are three kinds of resources. There are your human resources, your tangible resources, which are really important to allocate in manufacturing, and then your intangible resources, which people don't tend not to think about, like um, your credit line. Do you have money to go to the bank? You know, do you have the credit to go to the bank? 
right? Then there's the conversation of getting everybody on the same page, is having the conversation of here's what we're really making, here's what it's going to look like when we're done. Then there's getting the commitment. Because if you have people on your team who aren't committed to working on what you're working on, don't see why they matter in the process, it's not going to get done. Then you right? And then you've got to go to actually work in action and getting all the pieces together. I call it work in action because it's what action is everybody taking? And that's really where dollars per minute come in. What action is everybody in every department taking in order to make this work? Then there's assessing what's happening where you stop and go, okay, are we benchmarking the ROIs? It, are we where we're supposed to be by this time frame? Then there's completing it. How many projects do, you, do your, you know, does your company start that does that doesn't actually get finished? That doesn't actually go to so you've spent all of this time, all of these resources, all of these this this human capital getting something done, and it's actually not going to go to market. I have a funny story about that. Remind me about that in a second. Okay. <laughs> then th- then you actually complete it and deliver it. And then you have to go to the assessment about it to see, was this worth it? Did this make us money? Did this improve our reputation? And did this move us forward as a company to where we want to go next? And those are questions that a lot of manufacturers and a lot of people don't look at. And then we go back to reinventing and starting again. Okay, what comes next? And a lot of these cycles happen at the same time. But I found that there's almost always in every organization, one piece that people are missing and that's where they get hung up. And so when I go in and work with them, we look at all the pieces and see if you know, how it can work. And I realized that that was the process I went through in my company. I did that every time. Wow. Well, and it's when you're getting rid of the silos, like you said, very early in that conversation, Yes. because everybody in different departments are seeing things differently and getting that feedback. And unfortunately, it may not be feedback that you actually like, but you're getting lots of different um, thoughts from people. And I had a guest on my podcast a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about that they have all hands meetings where they have the office and the plant people get together. I mean, again, you think about a silo and kind of an us versus them. And, you know, they have the great life versus the people in the plant and all of that. But just having those conversations, this is such a little thing that anybody can do of just looking at where those conversations are happening and making sure that you're looking for ways uh, for people in the plant in all departments to have some kind of regular contact with each other and then taking it all the way to the end where sometimes we get done with a project, we get done with a product line and we're ready to go on to the next. But then, like you said, taking that step back to assess, did we make money? Was this worth the effort? And again, being okay with whatever answer comes out of that. That's right. I mean, can you, I can't tell you how many times we did a collection and we didn't make money on it because the printing cost more than we thought it would. I mean, you know, we gave them a price and the printing cost more than we thought it would. And the cutting cost more than we thought it would. And something happened. I mean, now what's happening with the supply chain. And I have friends who are still on HSN. By the way, my line lasted from 1997 until the middle of 2015. So I was there for 18 years, every four to six weeks with three, four, or five collections every 
you know, probably seven or eight times a year I was on air with, with my stuff. So we were manufacturing constantly. I have friends who are on air now who are having the hardest time getting their goods. I have a friend who had a today's special last week and it's still on back order because, oh, it's on a, it's in a container ship mm. somewhere off the coast of Los Angeles right now. Right. So, I mean, I can't imagine right now, you guys, I am, I, you know, my heart breaks for you because the supply chain is so challenged right now, given the past 18 months of COVID. Okay. So the quick story, cause I hate to leave people okay. hanging the quick story. <laughs> so I had an uncle who worked, he was a vice president of um, an advertising agency in New York city. I don't know if I can, I I can tell the story. Sure. I can. And, sure. um, we were, I was, it was when I was living back in New York. So I lived in New York for, for 20 years. And while I was living in New York, every once in a while, I'd take a weekend and go up to their house upstate because they had a pool and it was good to get out of the city. And my uncle and I were sitting on the train on the way from the city up to white Plains area where they lived. And and he said, yeah, he said, well, we're launching a new mustard type product. And I said, really, that's very exciting. He's like, yeah, you know, this company has been a, a client of ours for 20 years. And I said, well, what's the, you know, what's the product? And he said, the product is dip and spread. I swear I stopped and I went, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, the product is called dip and spread. I said, are you really going to call the product that? Cause I, maybe it's just how my brain goes, but that sounded so inappropriate to me for a mainstream. Right. And, and he said, no, no, no. Why? I said, Jeff, his name was Jerry. His name is Jerry. He's still my uncle. And I hope he doesn't hear this. Um, and he says, I said, Jeff dip and spread really. And, and he said, well, you know, cause he'd been working on it for probably a year and he had had no outside feedback and nobody had said anything. And I was the first outside person wow. that he had had a conversation with. And I'm like, are you kidding? And then I said, let me tell you what I'm seeing. And he went, oh, oh my God, we, we never thought of that. I said, well, half of your potential buying audience will, and I would rename the product and they did. Wow. Well, it was like a honey was, mustard type thing. Well, and we go so we get so married to what That's we right. do. We fall in love with our ideas. I can't tell you how many speech titles or product <laughs> titles. Oh, okay. Give I me one of yours and I'll give you one of mine. That was a complete failure. Go ahead. Thinking, what was yours? Um, I'm trying to think, but one of them was, I thought that turn off, turn over would be really good because I was <laughs> <laughs> because okay. I was thinking that, you know, this way you can eliminate employee turnover. Yes. But then when you looked at the turnover of product production actually being good. So yeah, it was just, I thought it was catchy. It had alliteration uh -huh. and I bought the URL. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. I had one called take a nap with your clients and vendors. <laughs> A nap was a new attitude and perspective, right? How to look at them in a new way. Here, there's a flaw in the plan. Nobody wants your people to take a nap with anyone. So right. I spent a year on that, being married to that. So yeah, takeanap.com. That was fun too. So, you know, we, we do, you're right. Everybody gets so married to their ideas, which is why it's so important to have outside eyes, which is why I love the consulting that I do. Because I can go in, be completely neutral, 
understanding what their end goal is, you know, after having a conversation with them. And then we, we start talking about what are you really working on? And I can go, you know, we may want to rethink this. Right. And it really is getting the outside feedback, but being ready to let go of something, even if it's something that you're madly in love with. It, there's too many times that we've seen it that we come up with this great idea. You know, you see it on Shark Tank all the time that people come up with this great idea and they never think they develop the item before they decide, discover if there's even a market need for it. Yep. So by getting that outside feedback, even if you're talking to some friends because, you know, you don't want it to get out in the market, whatever, any type of honest feedback, getting the real story from, from people and that, that feedback that hurts sometimes. It's why I rec recommend yeah. a, a mastermind group. I think every leader, every, every leader of an organization should have some kind of a mastermind group, a group of peers, not in your industry, even necessarily that you can bring your ideas and your challenges to, and they then look at it and say, you know, we're, that might not be the best idea. I think it's smart. Right. And that's why you do what you do, Lisa. I mean, that's why this podcast is so valuable because yeah. people can listen to it and hear the mistakes that other people have made. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, boy, time really does fly. So as we're, you know, to, um, I know that you do a lot of consulting work, but share you know, how you work with your clients, what you exactly do, and then what would be the best way to get in touch with you if somebody wants to learn more. Oh, thank you. Well, my website, making it really simple, is Carolyn Strauss, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-S-T-R-A-U-S-S.com. So almost everything there is to know about me is there. Um, and how I work with my with my companies is I work with who, however they need, if it's consulting with the management team and getting everybody on the same page. Um, one of my sweet spots lately has been family owned businesses. Mm. I just worked with a software development company that had three brothers who were running it. And the older brother wanted to get out within two years. The middle brother wanted to keep working and the younger brother was the salesman wanted to expand. And when you have leadership who are on three such different tracks, how do you get anything done? So that was a consulting job I did. I work with an electronics company, an electric, an electric service company in Ohio. And what I do with them is I go in once every once in a while and do those full team meetings like you were talking about, Lisa, where the installer people and the salespeople and the office people all get together and we have a conversation about where the company is going in the next year. So whatever, really whatever, whatever will serve people best. Well, Carolyn, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the, on the show and a whole lot of fun too. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Lisa. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. 
You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.